the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. In this month of February, we celebrate a particularly important feast on February 14th brings together, as we know, several, several feasts. It brings together the anniversary of the founding of the Women's Branch in 1930, where St. Isomeria saw, or was made to see by God, that, that women should be in August Day, February 14th, 1930, right after Mass. And 13 years later, the founding of the Priestly Society of the Holy Cross, 1943, also just happened to fall on February 14th. And uh, the Holy See has uh, granted uh, or approved a Mass that can be celebrated on that day, which is called the Mass of Our Lady of Fair Love, Mater Pulcre Dileccionis, Mother of Fair Love. So as we do our prayer this morning, we can ask ourselves, in the context of those feasts, those anniversaries, what does this invocation really mean, Our Lady of Fair Love? How can we deepen our understanding of it? When we say she is the mother of fair love, of pulcre, pulcre means beauty. We hear that we use the word fair love. We could have said mother of beautiful love, perhaps mother of pure love. And in our divine vocation, we can definitely say that we are men that are in love. We are in love. We are not men without love. We're not old bachelors. Not old bachelors. Somehow, the Lord has integrated true love in our life. And would that we be able to acknowledge it and, and uh, live it as this fair love or beautiful love or pure love. And at the same time, it's also always associated with our Blessed Mother. We know it always strikes us as rather strange whenever we see a painting of Our Lady where she does not look particularly beautiful. I mean, Our Lady, by definition, is supposed to look beautiful. Because that external beauty in the images, even in, in the 
how can I say the the how well they are produced, whether as sculptures or as paintings, that beauty reflects the beauty of her soul, reflects the depth of her love, and the tenderness of her heart. The beauty of her soul, the depth of her heart, excuse me, the depth of her love, and the tenderness of her heart. Sometimes, some artists make her look so perfect, so balanced, so classicizing academically, that she almost looks rather distant. There was a famous 19th century painter who was way famous, uh, William Adolphe Bouguereau. And honestly, I cringe at most of the paintings he did. He, he did these uh, personifications of virtue, charity, in personified as a nude woman, you know, or uh, uh, prudence as an, a woman like that. Uh, uh, it, they look really, you could just say, cringe is basically what I think of. And he had this massive studio with assistants. They would do these large, large paintings, also genre paintings of, of a pauper, of a poor young girl with big eyes, with mascara on. And um, he was certainly reviled by the Impressionists who liked to go out and do more natural-looking things. But, but all these odd-looking personifications of these virtues strike us as odd. But then he has one of Our Lady of the Angels, where Our Lady looks absolutely immaculately perfect. She's standing right up straight. She's holding up the child. The child has got his both arms out, almost as though he were celebrating a Mass, and, uh, and a perfect arrangement of uh, angels in a circle around her, venerating her, perfectly symmetrical. The child open with his eyes, almost excessively openly, you could say. And, uh, and th this title th th is also applied to that image, Our Lady of Fair Love. A bit of that classicism is hinted at, and I just say hinted, in the image of Our Lady of the University of Navarre, in that little chapel, the statue, where Our Lady is standing, or actually seated, but she's, again, very thin-looking. The child is on, standing on a, on a pile of books with different faculties written on their spine. And our founder had this chapel built so that people could pass by and trust to Our Lady their studies. So they, whatever studies they'd be doing, they would entrust their studies. And he called her Our Lady of Fair Love. He said, in this is picked up later on in conversations, in an interview, he said, Surely you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Who is God's gift to you, so that you are no longer your own masters? Referring here to St. Paul's letter to the Corinthians. How many times in front of the statue of the Blessed Virgin, the mother of fair love, will you reply with a joyful affirmation to the Apostle's question, Yes, we know 
that this is so and we want, with your powerful help, to live it, O Virgin Mother of God, Mother of Fair Love. And it was an invitation upon seeing that pure marble statue of Our Lady to live, in this case, for these young people, the virtue of holy purity. Now, there is a similar image, not quite the same, but similar, of Our Lady of Fair Love in Bilatevere, just in front of the Pralatic Church. And again, it's very classicizing, very academic in style. Our Blessed Mother, this time she's holding the child to her cheek. And everybody, upon seeing her, wants to go and kiss her. As she as you pass by there to go into the church. But we are told, you should not go and kiss Our Lady because she's made of a delicate marble and it could just, with too many kisses, it just could erode. So the only place you can kiss is the foot because the foot is replaceable. So kiss the foot. And uh, we used to make little corrections. No, no, you can't kiss. You have to kiss the foot, the foot. And you have to lean over. And In fact, there's even a, a similar image of our father kissing the foot of Our Lady. But uh, anyway, I always let people kiss wherever they wanted. But, um, and now I see, and I only recently realized that uh, the Jose Maria Institute has come up with a novena of Our Lady of Students. Our Lady of Students. And the image used is the image of Our Lady of Fair Love, or Mother of Fair Love. And there's a prayer there where the student is invited to obtain, he's, he's invited to pray, obtain for me the grace to enjoy my prayer, my study, and my work because they are the ways which I can show my love for God. It's a, it's a prayer to Our Lady of Fair Love. And the image there on this little, they have a little card there that they've presented, they produced, they cost a dollar a piece and you can order them, uh, is again, it's the image of Our, of our Lady of Fair Love. So where, where does this invocation come from? What's the origin of it? Well, we know it comes from the book of Ecclesiastes, where, or, or also called Ben Sirach, one of the books of... Uh, wisdom or, or, or sapiential literature where there's a passage at the, at the uh, well, more towards the middle, but a large section in which wisdom is personified. Wisdom is personified. And it personifies it, and we now apply that personification to Jesus Christ, but also to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and particularly this passage from chapter 24 that says, I am the mother of fair love and of fear and of knowledge and of holy hope. In me is all grace of the way and of the truth. In me is all hope of life and of virtue. Come over to me, all you that desire me, and be filled with my fruits. So I am well. To say, I am the mother of fair love, it's kind of hard to apply that to our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's, it's, a, it's applied to our Blessed Mother. That's where, in Latin, 
the Vulgate says, e ego mater pulcre dilecciones, et timores et addicciones et, sanct et sancta spe. Mater pulcre, pulcre dilecciones. And uh, unfortunately, the, this passage, that one line, is absent from many of the modern translations because it's only in the Vulgate. And for whatever reason, they omitted it from the NRSV and from the NAB. I don't really know why they did that, but uh, it's in the older, older editions like the, the Vulgate and the Douay Reims. They've kept it. Mater pur credilecciones. But we want to we want to ask our Blessed Mother also to be souls that have recourse to her because we want to be capable of love and as a result of her intercession be capable of gift of ourselves. And she was that soul intimately united to the Blessed Trinity. She was made strong and resilient like no other and capable of perceiving the things around her and she was therefore not at all flighty or superficial or concerned merely about secondary or superficial things. She had a genuine, tender heart. That's what made her mother of fair love. And to have a tender heart is to be somebody who is truly human, truly caring, refined, gentle, genuine, Maybe the word could be also be polite. And a few years ago, Pope Francis was given the opportunity to speak at an international event in Vancouver at a TED Talk in which he was streamed live in front of a massive audience, both internationally and the people there, uh, of techies and, and uh, I don't know, who exactly these people were, but it was a talk that really struck a chord and was quoted often by the secular press in which he spoke of inviting people, of, of developing a, what he called a revolution of tenderness, a revolution of tenderness. And he had all these intellectuals and techies and, and people from the business world and people from the engineering world and, and uh, the communications world. And he emphasized the real care we ought to place in our relationships, the way we talk to each other, the way we listen to each other, the way we just talk in the context of media and the digital world, and he said, uh, many of these things are preventing people from learning how to live wisely, to think deeply, to love generously. He talked about the mental pollution that can come about by screen overload. When we wake up, the first thing we do is we look at our screen, we look at our phone. He emphasized putting real care into the marginalized. We see these, these pictures of Pope Francis embracing little children sometimes or, or embracing sick people, the marginalized. And it's as though the pandemic were trying to impede that 
that tenderness, that ability to love. All that ability was beautifully seen in our Blessed Mother. And that's why she is called the Mother of Fair Love. And we see that also in the fact that we call her, we invoke her when we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, full of grace. And we, we, of course, we say that because the angel said that when he came and announced that she would be the mother of God, but also because we say that now because God's splendor is reflected in Mary. And we can imagine that the early church began to reflect on that account of the angel of the Annunciation and began to think more deeply about it, use that expression, Ave Maria, Gracia Plena. But with time... And with deeper reflection came to understand that to be full of grace doesn't only mean to be in the presence of God or to be in the state of grace, but it also meant for our Blessed Mother that she was immaculately uh, conceived. This was the, the ultimate reflection or the, or the development of that thought that's a sign of development of doctrine, that she was mother of fair love and, and, and had developed, and she had a deep, deep... Uh, you know, grace had really worked in her right from her immaculate conception. So, perhaps that's why we go to Our, Our Lady of Fair Love, so that we, we be, humanly speaking, appealing people, men who know how to talk, know how to make eye contact with others, know how to smile and to listen, know how to, how to care for others, that we are not indifferent, or we cannot be those kind of people that make demands on others because we know that they're supposed to be doing this and this is wrong and, and hammer down things on them without really connecting emotionally or without that tenderness that we ought to really have as as men who, who love. The Pope is asking for it. A revolution of tenderness. A revolution of tenderness. And each one of us should see, well, how can that apply to me? Especially in a world where it's so easy to, to bury ourselves in our devices and just go off to our room and do that and lose a, um, lose a sense of the immense value of the person that we have in front of us. How does this come about in me, this revolution? So that we can really love God and souls from Mary, enriched, our love is enriched and embellished somehow by her. Because of the way we deal with her, because of the way we pray the rosary, because of the way we look at images of our Blessed Mother. After all, our Father wanted us to look at images of our, our Lady. What do we get when we look at images of Our Lady? We don't get a, a thesis. We don't get a, a doctoral dissertation. We get motherly tenderness. How many people have looked upon this new painting that we have here and said, how beautiful she looks. We could say that she is the mother of fair love right here. And that provokes in us, not just a momentary 
gaze of, oh, how, how lovely, but it somehow stays with us. We see her and we learn. We ask her now for one expression of that tenderness is to be truly, truly patient with others. Patient. Maybe somebody says something or does something that just gets us mad. It just gets us mad because it seems to us silly or irrational. We just hold on. Don't get mad. Don't get tied in a knot. Well, the, Our Lady can also untie our knots. So she, there's the Our Lady untire of knots. That's probably Our Lady of Fair Love too. And she unties the knots. And Pope Francis had a great devotion to that image, Our Lady of the Untire uh, of Knots. No Knoten Lösung in German. Which is a... It's... It's not the greatest of images from the, just the pure artistic point of view because it's slightly, uh, um, how can I say, it's, it's a beautiful Im- image from the point of view of the idea that she unties our knots. But Mary does that. And uh, the gaze of Mary really was the gaze of Mary, of mother of fair love. We think of fair love as pure love, as in purity, as in chastity. But it was the mother, she was the mother of fair love in the sense that she was fair. Like, like she, she was fair in the sense that she was not just pure and chaste, but she gives us the benefit of the doubt. She is just in that sense. And even more so, she was eminently generous with us. Or she is generous, generous with us. And so we learn from her to be fair with people, to, to be, give them the benefit of the doubt, understand them. I found a wonderful prayer that goes back to St. Thomas Aquinas, who apparently wrote this prayer. It's a lengthy prayer, but I just read the the first line in which he invokes her. O Mary, mother of fair love, of fear, of knowledge, and of holy hope, by whose loving care and intercession many, otherwise poor in intellect, have wonderfully advanced in knowledge and holiness. I choose you as the guide and patroness of my studies. That's, that's why she is chosen as the patron of studies, mother of fair love for her students. And there are many students that get very anxious and, 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 and worried about their studies. Well, this is how our father, St. Josemaria, described it in Friends of God. The lesson, he says, the lesson of fair love, of living a clean life, of having a sensitive and passionate heart so that we may learn to be faithful in the service of the church. This is no ordinary love. It is love itself. There's no room for betrayal or calculation 
or forgetfulness. There's no room for betrayal, no room for calculation. Maybe I calculate a little bit too much. Maybe there's a little corner of my heart where I just always calculate what I, what I might get out of this, what I might keep for myself. Like whenever it happens that there's, there's a platter at a, at a meal and there's only, there's only five pieces and there's six people in the, in the table and you're looking and you can see everybody's calculating, okay, uh, that's going to go over that way and who's going to get you know, the five pieces or, or the, the last? Who's going to be left without a piece? And we calculate to make sure we get it first. And, and uh, we can't calculate that is in function of our interests. And Our Lady will help us to be generous, to depend less on our own calculations and more on generosity and gift of ourselves, the way we give ourselves in upcoming Lent, in mortification, dying to ourselves and the way we use our time. But our Father says that there's no room here for calculation or forgetfulness, but also for betrayal. Betrayal. And, I mean, betrayal is a harsh word for the mother of fair love, for us to betray. Is it possible that I in any way betray? That I, that I might actually betray those around me, my brothers in the work, betray the father, betray those I love in my family, betray the church, betray the Pope, or just my supernatural family. Betrayal is probably one of the harshest, most, uh, uh, I don't know what word to use there, the despicable things to do, to betray somebody, to turn your back. There are many, many novels and stories that recount two friends and one betrays the other, and it's, it's part of the whole dilemma. Well, it happened to Peter. It happened to Peter. He betrayed our Lord in the courtyard, and he did it three times. He had three opportunities to rectify. And he, indeed, thinks that this will never happen to him. But he said that because he relied on his own strength, his own ability. And he, it's as though when he said that, he wasn't really relying on supernatural means. He does not really know his own weakness. But we know how he is humiliated there with that servant. And, and we can just picture now the, the gaze between Peter and the gaze between Jesus and how, how wounded our Lord was by that betrayal. He was wounded. And the gaze, the gaze. Again, we go back to the image of looking upon somebody, just as we look upon our Blessed Mother. And of course, we all know uh, the betrayal of Judas, the main one, of course, who betrayed in the church. I would suspect that the early church must have deeply reflected on Judas and his betrayal. We know from the Acts of the Apostles that 
that they replaced him as soon as they could with Matthias. It was kind of, well, it was Peter who took the initiative, but it was kind of a way of saying, well, this betrayal never happened. Uh, it actually, uh, they, but they were saying, well, you know, 12 tribes of Israel, 12 apostles, it kind of makes sense, so we shouldn't, we need 12. Well, you didn't need 12. <laughs> I mean, it was like a way of making up for the one who betrayed. They wanted to kind of fill the gap. And every time Luke mentions him, he says, Judas Iscariot, who became the Egeneto, who became the traitor. He became that, meaning he was not born a traitor. He was not a traitor when our Lord chose him. He became a traitor. And he had the freedom to love or not to love at the level with which Our Lady of Fair Love had invited him. I always wonder what the relationship of Mary would have been with Judas if she had tried to convince him to be careful with a common purse, if she was delicate and refined and could see that something was going on with this young man. But somehow Judas had other priorities. Maybe he didn't really listen to our Blessed Mother. She, was, she wasn't always there, but I don't, it's not that we're thinking of the common purse, that we're thinking of money all the time, um, that we want to steal. Or, but maybe we just want to manage things and have things more as we prefer. So we go now to our Blessed Mother and we give thanks for this upcoming feast, February 14th, founding of the Women's Branch and founding of the Priest Society of the Holy Cross. We ask our Blessed Mother, Mother of Fair Love, to, to imbue us really with that revolution of tenderness that that can be expressed in the way we talk, the way we listen, the way we walk, the way we, we live our vocation. And our Blessed Mother will intercede for us so that this becomes a reality. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. Thank you.